in the first verse, as was already read, read in your hearing, I'm going to read uh, just for emphasis. And the angel of the Lord to the church at Sardis write, These things I say, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works, that you have a name that says you are alive, but you are dead. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we come before you humbling ourselves, for we know that you give grace to the humble, but you resist the proud. And so, God, we're drawing nigh unto you that you may draw near to us. We need a word. We come to you as empty vessels in need of filling. Fill us, O oh God, that we might overflow with your love and be a blessing to all that cross our path. For we pray this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. We're going to be talking about the fifth of the seven churches uh, today. We've already talked about uh, um, four churches, uh, the ancient uh, Asia Minor churches that Jesus wrote, had the Apostle John on the island of Patmos to write to, churches that were actual literal existing churches, but they also represent the historical church throughout the ages. And today we're going to be talking about the church the church at Sardis. Amen, amen, amen. We got a conversation going on here. Amen, praise the Lord. <laughs> amen, amen. Amen. Let's uh, turn our attention to that Revelation passage, uh, Revelation chapter 3. Uh, in certain African and Caribbean religions, a zombie is a corpse that had been, has been restored to life. It has been reanimated, brought back to life by a witch or some other magical uh, portion, or, or I should say potion. Although a zombie appears to be alive, in reality the person is dead. They are the walking dead. To put it another way, they are dead people walking. They are physically alive, but their soul has departed from their body in, it, in a state of where it can't be released until the body actually lives. And of course, believers understand that there's no such thing as zombies and corpses being brought back to life through witchcraft. However, the Bible does teach that it is possible for someone or something to appear to be physically alive, but in actuality, spiritually dead, without a pulse. This is what Jesus describes when he makes reference to the church that was at Sardis, when he says that you have a name, you have a reputation. You're known in the community as being that church which is alive. But I've done an autopsy on this congregation, and I've determined that you are, in fact, dead. 
As we will see, the church at Sardis was alive only nominally by name. They were a church that was living in the present based on their past reputation. Like Sardis, many Christians are living in the present based on their formative years as Christians. It's amazing how when you talk to believers and when they, you ask them about what God is doing in their life today, their references often go back to when they first got saved and what the Lord did in their life at that time. They live in the present based on their past experiences in the Lord. The power of the Holy Spirit had departed from most of their ministries. And the Lord says, you are a zombie church. You are a church that is made up of the walking dead. Now, I want to share four thoughts with you today from the book of Revelation. This is, as I was going through this passage, I came under heavy conviction. I just want you to know that the Lord was just tearing me up. And I believe if you would pause and give me your full attention as we unpack this passage of Scripture, God will begin to deal with some things in your heart that maybe you hadn't been sensitive to that may, if you don't give attention, may resort, resort in spiritual, uh, spiritual death. The first thing that I want to consider with you is the description of the head of the church. That is in chapter 3, verse 1-8, the description of the head of the church. Secondly, we're going to look at the diagnosis of the spiritual condition of the church. We're going to look at the autopsy of the church. Then thirdly, we're going to consider the directives for actions the church needs to take to be reborn, to be restored to life in Revelation chapter 3, verses, uh, verses 2 and 3. And then finally, we'll look at a declaration where the Lord gives a, a warning of retribution and a promise of reward. So we're going to look at a declaration. We're going to look at directives. We're going to look at a diagnosis. And we're going to consider the description of the Lord. And the first thing that I want you to consider in verse 1a, to the angel, to the pastor, to the messenger of the church of Sardis, John, write these words, write these words. And the Lord says three things regarding the description of himself to the church. And as I've already said, as we looked at the four previous churches, that every name that the Lord uses to describe himself is a particular characteristic or perfection based on how that church or that Christian needed to see Christ in his particular circumstance. So the Lord says three things about himself as he identifies who is, in fact, the author of the letter that is being sent to the church at Sardis. And the first thing he says, he says, I am he who has the spirits, the seven spirits of God. I am he who has the seven spirits of God. Now, we know from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4, that there is only one spirit, not multiple spirits. We actually told in 1 John chapter 4 that we need to judge the small s spirits, whether they be of God. So there's one capital S, God the Holy Spirit. And so when Christ makes reference to himself as being the one who holds the seven spirits, 
from the scriptures we learn that the word, the, the number seven means completeness or fullness. The Holy Spirit Christ promised before he left, he said he would come and he would have three specific ministries, at least in his initial uh, introduction to the, to, to the world. First of all, he would bear witness of Christ. He would bring to remembrance the things that Christ had taught. And so the role of the Holy Spirit to the church is to glorify Christ in the same way Christ's ministry was to glorify the Father. And so the Holy Spirit came to bear witness of Christ. The Holy Spirit also came, would come to indwell believers. The scripture says in John chapter 14, not only will the Spirit of God come alongside us, but he will be in us and with us. And so the second ministry of the Holy Spirit would be that he would indwell us. Then the third specific thing that the Holy Spirit would do in the, at, at the beginning of how his work would be amongst believers it happened in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit gave birth to the new church on the day of Pentecost when they had gathered. Jesus had already previously said in Acts chapter 1, he said, go to Jerusalem because not many days from now, the promise, the promise, the parakletos, the Holy Spirit is going to come. And on the day of Pentecost, when they were gathered in the upper room, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit descended and he came upon the church. I like what the Apostle Paul says, and stay with me. He says, you are the temple of God. The church is the house of God. And the Spirit of God lives in the church. A church that is not operating in the power of the Holy Spirit is a corpse. A church and a, or a Christian who is not being controlled by the Spirit of God as a practice in their walk with God is a corpse. It's really interesting. Um, when God fashioned Adam from the dust of the earth, he was completely formed as an adult male. What God made was good. Adam was handsome and he was well-defined, muscular, and, and his features, his eyes, and his ears. But until God breathed the breath of life into Adam, he was nothing more than a corpse. I don't care how large a church is and how, how popular the church may be in the community. If the Lord, when he looks at the church and sees that there's no life in it, that there's no spirit moving in the church, the church is in his from God's vantage point, you're simply, and we're simply a corpse. We're dead. We're dead. The Holy Spirit was unwelcomed at the church at Sardis. He wasn't needed for what they call church. And one of the most heartbreaking uh, experiences that I believe that God encounters every Sunday is that we grieve the Spirit of God, we quench the Spirit of God, because the version, of, the version of Christianity that we are functioning in is not a biblical Christianity. It's not a Christ-centered Christianity. And so when we aren't operating with Christ as a central reason for what we do, if everything that we're doing is not for Christ, that's a corpse 
without a soul. And so they were, he had the seven, he had the fullness and the completeness of the Holy Spirit. The ministry of the complete work of the Holy Spirit is to operate through the church so that the church not only can accomplish natural things, but to accomplish supernatural things. So they didn't need that kind of help from the Holy Spirit because they weren't interested in doing supernatural things. I wonder if you're interested in doing supernatural things. Are you comfortable just with the routine of Christianity? Are you just you, you chilling in your walk with Christ? And if the Holy Spirit never touched you on your shoulder, you wouldn't miss him. Christ also says, I control, I hold the seven stars. Christ is giving notice to the pastor of the church at Sardis. He says that I have given you the stewardship of the church, but I'm the sovereign over the church. The church is mine. I hold the seven stars. The seven stars are the messengers of the church, the angel of the church, the pastors. And so he reminds the pastor and the leaders that it's his church. I hold. I'm in charge of the church. This is my church. Things must go the way I have predetermined in the word. My direction and structures and God instructions and guidelines are found in the word for the church. The Bible says it is required of a steward that he be found faithful. Not that we call ourselves faithful. You must be found faithful by the one who gave you the assignment. I had a young man who used to come to me, and every he'd come and ask for prayer. And, and when he came, I knew he'd been fired from his job. And so I would ask him, well, what happened this time? He said, you know, I was the best employee they had. Uh, no one worked harder than I did. And, and uh, I was there before everyone, and et cetera, et cetera. They couldn't have found a better employee. But they got, he got fired from every job. Well, in his mind, he had been found faithful. In his mind, he was he was going beyond and above the, the call of duty. But when they evaluated him for the assignment they gave him, he was busy doing everybody else's work. But from their perspective, they didn't hire him to do other people's work. They hired him to fulfill his job description. It is required of us to be found faithful. The one who determines if we're faithful is not the, the, the one who's doing the work. It's the one who assigned you. Would the Lord find in his evaluation of you, that you are genuinely faithful. Are you really faithful? It is required of a steward to be found faithful. Somebody say amen. The Lord reminds the pastor, this is my, this is my show. You are simply being allowed, permitted to be the under-shepherd. And if you don't act right, what we're going to find out at the end of the chapter, the Lord will raise up one pastor and put him down. The church does not even see. A pastor, when he is not being faithful to his call, he can kill a church. A leader who is not fulfilling his ministry can kill a ministry. 
A husband who's not leading his wife spiritually can kill a marriage. A wife who will not come under the authority of her husband is destroying her own home. I don't care how big the house is, how much money you have in your account. I don't care how impressed the people in church are with what seems to be a great marriage. When the Lord looks at a marriage that is not being directed by his spirit, he says, you're dead. I pronounce you dead. You are a corpse. You are a dead man, a dead woman, walking. Here's a, th a third thing that the Lord says. Not only am I the one who holds the seven stars and controls the seven spirits, the completeness and the fullness of the activity of the spirit in the church through its leaders and its members and its impact on the community. He said, I know your work. I know your works. And this is really deep. This is what got me. He said, first of all, I know who's doing the work. I know who's doing the work. And the who included the pastor and the elders and the deacons. I want you to understand leaders of new direction. And wherever you are as a leader, if you are in those categories of an elder or a pastor or a deacon, that is the highest calling that God can give you in his church. There's nothing more sacred than that. He said, I know your works. I know the real quality of your works. Some of you are leaders over ministries. He said, I know who's working. I know what you're doing. Some of that, they were, they were leading their ministries. They were tithers. These are the tithers in the church. These were those who had daily devotions and prayer. You couldn't count them as having a negative based on the Christian quote-unquote checklist. But he said, more than knowing who's doing the work and what you're doing, I know, Oida, I know experientially and intimately why you do what you do. He said, you have a name. He's talking about you have a reputation. Someone has said that character is who we really are. Reputation is who people think we are. They were working to impress people. They wanted to make, have people think that they were what they really weren't spiritually. The church had Sardis, the, the, the leaders and the members, they had a form of godliness, but they denied the power of godliness as they acted out or walked out their experience in Christ. They were more concerned about the appearance of looking the part, of having the title, and having people think that they're well, what they really weren't. They were wearing a Halloween mask. <laughs> They looked like angels, but behind the angelic mask was a motivation was not the motivation was not to be pushed beyond their comfort. These were Christians in the church who were on automatic pilot. They, they weren't trying to break a sweat for the Lord. They, they, they didn't want anything to interfere with their schedule on their day. They were comfortable with just being called Christians. This is the only church of the seven churches where the Lord doesn't say that they were under persecution. There was no persecution for their faith, no persecution for their, 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 their testimony, no persecution because they exist, because they were a church that wanted everybody to like them. This was a church that didn't mention the name of Jesus in the context of their work 
setting. This was a a group of Christians who would have been secret aging Christians. In church, they they proudly acknowledged their relationship with Christ, but in public, they denied him. He said, I I know why you do your works. I know why you're doing this. It's Sunday. We go to church on Sunday. It's Sunday. We watch the church on Sunday. It's Sunday. But the motivation is not because I have been called to be faithful as a steward and that the Lord is giving. I'm going to give an account to the Lord for what I've done. He said, I know your works. One of the greatest mistakes I've ever made in 40 years of ministry was I did not hold one of the officers of the church accountable, a deacon in our church. This man had such a pristine marriage. He put me to shame how much he bragged on his wife and how he, how he took care of his wife and the things he knew about her and the, the things that he would do. I was just like, oh, man, this guy, and he's younger than, I mean, I, I've never seen anyone like him. He had the perfect family just handsome children and best grades and outstanding uh, community. People loved him in the community. A spectacular son to his parents. And, I mean, I, I was so impressed with this deacon that I confided in him. I told him about personal things in my life, but he never confided in me, nor did I require him to do so because I looked at this man as if he had really reached the point in his walk with the Lord that he didn't need to be challenged like that. And so when he stopped coming to church and didn't feel the need to come to Bible study, this is what really troubles me. People that are in leadership in the church don't, don't even attend Bible study, don't even have any intentions of following Bible study. They're so spiritually mature. And I say to people, and I mean this from the depths of my heart, if you're at a church and you're not growing under the ministry of the pastor, the shepherd, the overseer, you shouldn't be at that church. And, and, and how are we going to lead anybody about the seriousness of what God is trying to do if we're not modeling it ourselves? And so this brother, he stopped coming to Bible study. In fact, if you ask him, but he didn't even want he, he was so spiritually elite, you couldn't even talk to him about it. There's some people who think they're so spiritually mature, you can't even ask them about why they aren't doing something that other Christians do. You, we never reach the point where we've arrived spiritually, where we don't need to grow, and, and that's for them and not for me. You're at the wrong church. Stop coming to Sunday school. And I just attributed to his new job schedule. And so I just left it alone. I later found out that this man liked boys. He's a pedophile. Now, he wasn't dealing with boys at my church, but he liked young teenage boys. And when it was exposed, he, he lost his marriage, he lost his children, he lost his reputation. But I could not help but think, how did I miss it? How did I, as a shepherd, the Lord just dealt with me. How could I have anyone under my care and I didn't hold them accountable? I want you to know that a a leader that's not accountable to to the shepherd and then the elders who aren't holding people accountable, if the elders aren't accountable, deacons aren't accountable, I want you to know that that's a dangerous person. 
That's a person that's scary because the Bible says we are our brother's keepers, that we ought to warn and admonish one another. Iron does sharpen iron. Who's holding you accountable? I want you to understand something. If somebody's not challenging you and getting up in your world and calling you out for what, you, what is not true of Christ, you're not growing. And you become a danger to the church. You're dangerous. You're dangerous. I'm tired of Christians coming to church, and this, this was, I, I could preach. And I'd be so nervous about not getting it right that I was there, but I really wasn't there. I had to learn that my job was to get prepared and then to leave the results to God. It's possible for you to be at church but not there. You can be at home with your wife, but you're not there. He said, I know your works, and nobody else may call you to the call, call you, hold you accountable. You may not get impeached, but I know your works, and I am calling you to account. Why are you so busy that you can't join a Bible study? Why are you so busy that you love the church so much, but you are a part-time committed person? We need to hold each other accountable. The church will not grow. I grow when people push me. We all need to be pushing each other. And we, here's the thing, the way that works. When we're carnal, we don't want people calling us out. We don't want people telling us what we're not doing well. We want to hear people cheering us. But you don't grow like that. Sometimes the person that aggravates you the most is the one that God is trying to use to be that rock in your shoe. And so he describes himself as the one who controls the seven stars. He says, I also control the seven spirits, the complete and fullness of the spirit working in the church. But I also know your works. I know you. I know folks are impressed, but I'm not impressed. I'm not impressed that you showed up today, that you dropped a couple dimes in the basket today. And then he diagnoses the church. Said the Lord, he starts the autopsy in earnest in the second part of verse one. He says, The reputation of the church of Sardis is real. He said, You have a name that you are alive, but you're dead. Everybody that talked about the church of Sardis said, That's where you want to go, man. They got it happen. They got the choir. They got the praise and worship. They got the brand new building. They get ready to move to Middletown. They got this great. Uh, uh, a media platform and people just joining, and that's the place to go. The Lord said, you have a reputation where people think of you, you're, who you really are. I know your character. You're dead. Now, when the Lord says that a church is dead, what, 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 what makes a church a walking dead congregation? You're physically present. You're involved in me. He said, they're working. They're doing things. Your corpse. Here's one, of the, here's one of three things that will be true of a church that is spiritually dead. There'll be the lacking in for, of the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Lacking of the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And what I mean by that, this is a church that's not being led by the Spirit. The Lord says in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 14, he says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are sons of God. Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. He said, this I say, walk in the spirit, or take a step at a time in the spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. A Christian who's not living a spirit-filled life 
is dead. Your corpse. Because in the flesh, we cannot please the Lord. In order to be filled with the Spirit, you must be deliberate and intentional to ask the Lord. You, the Bible says, acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will direct your path. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lead. How do you do that? You ask the Spirit of God to direct your steps, to control you, and then you depend on him to allow you to accomplish whatever he has given you to do. The first evidence of deadness that you're a person who's just religious. You're an expert in Christy, uh, 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 churchianity. And you know all the scripture. <laughs> you done taught classes. You done been to seminars. You got a great following on Instagram and, and Twitter, but you ain't, you, what you're doing is supporting a brand, not the name of the Lord Jesus Christ under the unction of the Spirit of God. Here's the second thing. They lack passion for Christ. He wasn't their first love. There was no real hunger for developing their prayer life and, and spending time on their knees and pushing their plate away and, 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 and responding when the Spirit of God convicts you in areas of your life. Some of us have been struggling with the same thing for years, and here we are. Now we got a life-dominating sin. Do you still have a passion to become like Jesus, and are you willing to take up your cross to, to become like him, to die to your flesh? They had no passion for dying to their flesh. They were cool with just being comfortable. There's too many comfortable Christians. Got their little nice houses, nice cars, a 401k. You ain't shaking that up. You ain't going to give a dime over what you can be comfortable with. Some of you ain't giving nothing. You've got all kinds of excuses. You lack passion for the Lord. And even though you may say, love you, Jesus, the Bible says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say do? Because one of the things that he says do, show me your heart by how you give. Because wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. They lack passion. They worked overtime to maintain a public image of spirituality. The church of Sardis is the only one of seven churches that I've already said that wasn't persecuted. It was okay that people just looked up to us and looked up to them. But what they were looking up to was an empty shell with, with no, no real evidence of passion for the Lord. Do you love Jesus more than you did yesterday? Are you growing in your desire to please him? Are you hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Does it break your heart when you let the Lord down? Are you willing to respond to the hurts and the needs of others even when it inconveniences you? They had no passion for Christ. They had a passion for working for Christ, but working for Christ is not the same thing as working in the power of the Holy Spirit that he might accomplish whatever it is he's trying to accomplish. Let's, let me finish. Here's the third thing. They lack power. They lack spiritual power. You don't have any power when the Holy Spirit is not in control. That's why when things happen, we just fall apart. Paul says in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 5, 4 and 5, he said, When we came to you, we didn't come to you with persuasive speech, but we came to you in the demonstration of the power of the Spirit 
of God. When we are operating in the power of the Spirit of God because we're yielded and have a heart of passion to please the Lord, lives change. People are snatched out of darkness and brought into the marvelous light. But more than, more than people changing, are you changing? Are you still the same person you were five years ago in the Lord? Are you still being tripped up by the same things that you've been struggling with for seven, eight, ten years? It's time for us to live the spirit-filled life. A spirit-filled life is not satisfied. Jesus said, greater works than these will you do. How? Because we have the Holy Spirit of God living in us. What does that mean? The, the Holy Spirit was the one who caused Jesus to be resurrected from the dead. That means we have resurrection power residing in our bosom. The same power that brings dead things back to life. We can speak a word of God under the Spirit of God filled with passion and people who are walking in their grave clothes will be rescued. I don't know about you, but I want power. Jesus said, you look alive, but you're dead. Some of the most prominent Christians place all their energy in protecting their public brand while privately living in the graveyard among the dead as a slave to sin. And it's just amazing how many Prominent Christians are falling into sin. And the question is, how did that happen? How did we not know? Nobody held them accountable. They, they answered to no one. We simply were amazed at the gift. Somebody said, I'm not, I want to be at a place that's not concerned about what I can do, but they're concerned about my condition, my need to be like Jesus, my brokenness. My need to be reconfigurated through the transforming power of us. That's what, that's what we need. We don't need to just give people get-out-of-jail cards because they have a title or because they have a lot of experience or biblical training. Who are you accountable? He says, I diagnosed you. You gave you this autopsy. You're dead. And the cause of your death is a lack of prompting of the Holy Spirit. You're not being led by the Spirit. The cause of your death is you lack passion. The cause of your death is you have no power. Now, let me quickly share some uh, directives that the Lord gives in verses 2 and 3. He says, wake up. Strengthen that which remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Why is he being so hard? These are the words of the Lord. The Lord, he just came with a beat down for the church at Sardis. He said, wake up. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Let me share four things that the Lord tells this church. Five things, actually. Write these down. He said, recognize your condition. Wake up! You are, if you're not dead, you're dying. There's a spiritual cancer in your body, and it's spreading. And if you don't do radical surgery, if your right eye is offended, you pluck it out. If your right hand, cut it off. You need to do something. Wake up. Recognize that you're in danger by just going through the motions, just being con con uh, comfortable with being comfortable. God didn't call us to be comfortable in this world. 
to just put it on cruise control, show up for special occasions, do just enough to get by. I'm so glad that the Lord didn't do just enough to get us saved. He went all the way to the cross, and when he hung there, he said, tell to die. The work that I came to do for saving the world is completed. The price for sin, he didn't give us half of a commitment. He went all the way to the cross. What kind of commitment are you giving to the Lord? Are you fully committed? He said, recognize your true condition. And he says, revive that which remains. Strengthen that which remains. Identify the essential things. Develop what needs to be sustained and promote spiritual growth. Jesus said, abide in me and my words will abide in you. And you can ask, you need to make your priority to stay close to Jesus. That ought to be your priority in 2021. Whatever it takes to trade, the Paul, Paul said, I am chasing after you. I am pursuing you. He said, this one thing I do, I pursue the Lord Jesus Christ. So we, we are, revive that which remains. We need to be in Bible study. You need to be praying regularly. You need to be sharing your faith. Well, it's the pandemic. The pandemic doesn't stop the gospel. It doesn't stop you from working every day. It doesn't stop you from cashing that check. Remove the obstacles that prevent you from growing. He said, I found your deeds unfinished in my sight. He said, there's stuff that you haven't finished because you're distracted by shining. This is the Maytag church. He says, shining the equipment. No, 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 stop, 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 stop reading your own press clippings. Look what I'm doing for the church. Look what I'm doing for the Lord. And fulfill your ministry. Remove the obstacles that are preventing you from growing. Stop coming up with what we can't do. We can't, we can't. I hear the Bible says I can do all things through Christ who what? Strengthens me. I'm tired of hearing Christians, I can't, we can't. Why can't we? If God be for us. Here's the fourth thing. Remember what you have been taught and obey it. He says, remember, therefore, what you have received and heard and hold fast. And hold fast means you, we, we don't lack scripture. <laughs> we are educated beyond our obedience. He said, hold fast, obey, remain faithful to that which you have been taught. Go back to the basics. Design the sincere milk of the word that you may grow by it. Remember the basics. And then he says, repent. Repent. That means recognize that where you are in lack of commitment to Christ and being in a, in a, in a kind of a revolving door, treadmill, uh, uh, mentality about serving the Lord, he said, you need to repent. That's sin. It's sin. Yes, it is. He said, repent. Or you want to, th th this death it's going to be final. Here, let me finish here with the retribution. The Lord says, I will come upon you like a thief in the night. That means judgment is going to be sudden. Sudden judgment. It's also going to be certain judgment. He said, I will come. I want you to know that the Lord is where you are. He said, I'm coming. I'm going to judge you for what you have done. I'm coming. It's going to be certain judgment, sudden judgment. It's going to be righteous judgment because it's going to be the Lord who judges you, not the people who look up to you and are impressed with what you do. Because you found yourself faithful. 
if I had time, I'd give you the illustration of how Sardis actually fell. They were confident, overconfident in the ability that nobody could, their city was impenetrable, but they fell. The Bible said, be, be, be weary lest you be overtaken because of false confidence. Now let me share the rewards. In verses 4 through 6, I'm going to share the rewards. He said, first of all, in verses 4 through 4, he says, the remnant, the remnant, he said, there's some who have not soiled their garments. There are people in the church that are literally on fire, who have passion, who are pr prompted by the Holy Spirit, and are operating in the power and the unction of the Holy Spirit. He said, I remember you. God does not ignore or take, doesn't fa fail to take notice of the faithful. The Bible says, every idle word that we speak, he's gonna, we're going to give an account for. Matthew chapter 13, 36 through 43. And he says, the remnant, those who are still faithful, are going to be rewarded. He says, they shall walk with me in white garments. That's purity. That's purity. So all Christians are pure. But what the Lord is going to do, he's talking about, he's talking about formal attire. Uh, uh, Sardis was known for making this particular type of garment. And so what the Lord is saying is, this particular group that remains faithful, that is empowered by my spirit, one of the ways I'm going to reward you is I'm going to give you some formal attire. I'm going to give the brother some tucks. And I'm going to give the sister some gowns. And, and because you are properly dressed because of faithfulness, you'll be able to attend uh, uh, occasions that are only, are only reserved for those who fall into the category of being found faithful. He says that you shall walk with purity. He says your names will not be blotted out. Oh, the Lord said you can lose your salvation. No, he's not talking about losing your salvation. When he says your name shall be blotted out of the book of life. The book of life is a book that every creature, creation of God, their name is in it. There's a book, the, the Lamb's book of life, and there's the book of life. The book of life has everybody's name in it. But the, the Lamb's book of life only has the name of those who are saved. And so you say, you're now, now what happens? You made reservations. God made reservations. He put your name in the, land, in, the, in the book of life. But if you, don't, if you don't follow through with completing the reservations by accepting Christ as your Savior, you, 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 your name will be erased from the book of life. And when you stand before the great white throne judgment and he goes looking for your name, it won't be there. It was there because you were the creation of God. But because you didn't accept the, privilege, the, the provision of God, it won't be there. He says, the Lord will confess them before your father. God is going to give special recognition to you, special recognition, special recognition for those who decided, I don't want to be dead. I don't want to just be going through the motions. I'm not, I don't concern, I'm not concerned that I'm impressing people. I'm not concerned about that. So he promises, he declares, I'm going to reward you, but there will be retribution if you don't respond to being a walking dead person. Now, I work in hospice, and one of the things that doctors do they will put people in a, what's called a medically induced coma. And that, the reason they do that is to slow the heart rate down and to stop the brain activity so the person will stop threshing. And, 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 and they might have been in a serious car accident, and their body just needs to rest. And if, if the body responds properly to a medically induced coma, then the organs can begin to re, rejuvenate. And, and if, but if they don't, the organs start dying one by one. Just like in the church, evangelism started dying. That's an organ. Bridal studies start dying and, and sharing, uh, 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 giving tithes, they start dying. So the, the, the body under a medically induced coma can, can, can eventually die. But the good news about it is it also can be reversed. A medically induced can, coma can be reversed. 
And so what the Lord is saying, he said, I, when I did this autopsy, this thing is spiritual, and I put you into a spiritually induced coma so you can look at yourself and to see that you're lacking in the power. Your spirit of God is not active in the church. That You don't have to remain in that situation, but if you don't do something to respond to this word, you will die. You will not have any power. You will have not in, no influence. And the works that you do will be burned. The works that you do will be burned. Are you spiritually dead? Are you walking and appearing to be what you're not? I pray to God that this reverse spiritual coma will happen for you as you say yes to the Lord right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we bless you. Oh, Lord, I just thought about my own walk with you. God, I have to be honest. I'm, all, I'm not always giving you my best effort. Father, it's so easy to make excuses about how hard you do this and how hard you do that. But, Lord, things just become so much easier when we make you the priority. God, I pray right now that this church would determine in its mind and all who are listening to me that Christ is going to be first. When he is, our marriages will be better. Our situations at work will be better. God, forgive us. Father, I repent right now of any of the things in my life that have distracted me from making you first. Oh, God, I don't want to be guilty of being a dead man walking. Father, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.